Happy Easter, Christ Chapel. Wonderful to be with you on Easter. Hello to all of you who are joining us at all of our other venues and campuses. We are a family and we love that you've joined uh, together to celebrate this Easter holiday. Uh, it's one we've been praying for and anticipating for two years. You're like, Cody, there was an Easter last year. No, there wasn't. I was here all by myself preaching to no one while you were at home watching on your television or devices. Probably not looking like that though, probably looking more, more like that. It's a little more realistic. You know, when I saw that picture, God bless that kitten, that eardrum is gonna get busted here pretty quick with the shrill of that recorder. You know, last year at this time, I think that many of us, uh, you know, COVID had just become kind of a, a household word that had been added, added to our vocabulary. We didn't really know much about it. And I think many of us thought, you know, hey, if we just follow the, the governmental shutdown for a little while, the CDC guidelines, soon we'll be able to file away COVID-19 with SARS or N1H1 or swine flu or any of those. Optimistic that we'll get through this pretty quick. And none of us knew that COVID-19 was just the beginning. None of us knew that the racial tensions in our country would flare up like they did this summer. No one knew the depth of the political divide that would be exposed this fall. No one knew that we would experience an ice storm like we haven't seen in decades that would endanger the lives of so many people in our community. COVID-19 was just the beginning. And the fact that we made it through all that and got here, it is a happy Easter. We're, we're just, yeah. So that's why I say we've been anticipating this and praying for you guys for so long to celebrate Easter together. But I know for some of you, it's not a happy Easter because you didn't make it through those things without consequence. And maybe this Easter is just another holiday that's a reminder that life is not like it was last year. Maybe now you don't have the health that you had then. You don't have the job that you had then. You don't have the relationship that you had then. You know, maybe some of your Easter is marked by an empty seat. Not because you're social distancing, but because you lost a loved one. And I understand that this might not be a happy Easter for you, but I will tell you this. All of us need Easter now more than ever because we need to know who we can go to to find help in our world and find hope for our future. And that's what I wanna talk about today. So uh, you're welcome to take out your Bibles, but we're gonna look at this from John chapter 11. Uh, if you'd like, the, all of these scriptures are in your worship folder that you were handed whenever you came in or they're on the app if you're watching with us on our internet campus. But what I wanna show you is that if you find yourself in a tragic and uncertain situation, you can send for help. We have found ourselves in so many different places that were unfamiliar territory, that were desperate situations this past year, that some of you might not know that there's someone there who wants to help you. And in John chapter 11, even though this biblical account was recorded 2,000 years ago, it seems all too familiar to us today. So John chapter 11, verses one to three, follow along with me. It says, now a certain man was ill, 
Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, which has not happened yet. He's foreshadowing what's going to come in the next chapter there. But it's that's whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, that is Jesus, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. So you have this family that's gathered around, two sisters and a brother. They live in the town of Bethany, which is just about two miles outside of Jerusalem. That will be significant later, so remember that. But Lazarus is ill. So ill that whatever remedies they've tried, we don't know, but everything that they've tried is not helping. They don't know what to do. And so it says that they send for Jesus. I mean, this is familiar territory to so many people this past year. Because these are a family, this is a family that knows Jesus. They've had a relationship with him in the past, yet they find themselves suffering. And I think there are some great things that we can take away for our everyday lives just from these three verses. The first is this, no one can avoid the tragedies of sin. The tragedies of sin, what the consequences of sin are death, destruction, despair. We can't avoid those. Why? Because we're sinful. We live in a sinful and broken world, and it's not the way God designed it to be. Yet, we brought sin into this world. I'm a sinner, therefore I cannot avoid the tragedies of sin. Also, nothing can insulate us from uncertainty. I mean, can I get an amen for that? This year, this past year has provided so many uncertainties. We, we would love to insulate ourselves from that, but there's no amount of forethought, planning, education, or even finances that can insulate you from uncertainty. If your power went out during that ice storm, I don't care how much money you had, your power wouldn't come back on. You probably would have paid anything and you couldn't make it happen. We can't insulate ourselves from uncertainty or avoid the tragedies of sin, but here's the good news. No one is too far from Jesus to call for help. No one's too far. You see, Jesus wasn't on the scene then. And you wonder why he isn't. I mean, not only do they have a relationship with Jesus, they know him, they love him, they trust him, they follow him because they call him Lord. But actually, think about this too. The name Lazarus is actually a short name for Eleazar, which means the one whom God helps. Well, where is God? Where is he when it counts? Lazarus is ill. Shouldn't he be here? Well, you know why he's not there? Because the people in Jerusalem had driven him out. You have to go back to the end of chapter 10. Jesus had just healed a man who was born blind. And the Pharisees don't like it. He's upset the power structure in their city. And so they drive him out and he retreats across the Jordan about 15 to 20 miles. That's why he's not there. But it doesn't mean that they're too far to call for help. And that's exactly what they do. You see, there are other people there. Verses 17 to 19 tell us there are a bunch of people. 
All people that have gathered around, they've brought casseroles to the sisters. They've got the meal train going. They're probably even praying for him. And they can offer sympathy, but they can't offer a solution. And that's why the sisters send an SOS to Jesus. You see, when you find yourself in need, you send out an SOS, send our Savior. Many of you know what an SOS is. It's the Morse code configuration. It's a, a distress signal started during, during maritime uh, usage back in the early 1900s. It was used when there was imminent loss of property or life. But an SOS was always used as a last ditch effort. When you, could, when you came to the end of yourself, there was nothing more you could do. Then you would send out an SOS, and guess what? You didn't know who would respond, if anyone. You know, when I think about SOS, that similar to what these sisters did, send our Savior, send a solution, someone who can speak into this problem. I think of probably the most famous SOS that was ever sent out, which was on April 15th, 1912. On April 14th, 1912, the unsinkable Titanic decided to ignore all warnings that said it was unsafe to cross the Atlantic. And at 11.40, they hit one of those icebergs in an ice field that was foretold. And obviously the ship was uh, in a bad shape. And the engineers looked at it and those who could fix it, the carpenters, et cetera, they looked at it and they determined that the ship would sink in one to two hours. And at 12.15 a.m., April 15th, 1912, the SOS went out, not knowing who would respond, if anybody. Actually, three ships we know of heard about it. The first one was a ship called the Samson, seven miles away from the Titanic. Yet, because people on the Samson ship were hunting seals illegally, they chose not to respond. There was another ship called the Californian that was 14 miles away. When they heard the distress call, they figured that it was too dangerous for them to try to navigate the ice fields and the icebergs to go and try to rescue those on the Titanic so they would wait until the morning so they could navigate it visually. Then there was a ship that was 56 miles away called the Carpathia. And the Carpathia decided to change and adjust course completely at great risk to themselves to navigate the ice fields, and in fact, turned off all the heat to all the, the rooms for the people, their passengers, so that all the steam power could be used to get to the Titanic as fast as they could, and ended up saving 705 survivors. But at great risk to themselves, they decided to answer that SOS, and Jesus is no different. At great risk to himself, he showed up. You see, if you, have, if you send for a savior, you can always have hope in his response. You can have hope that he will respond. It's not like the message in the bottle by the song Police, you know, I hope that somebody gets my. Gosh, you don't listen to that song? That's a great song. Come on, guys. You don't have to hope. 
you know how he's going to respond. He responds here in verse 4. But when Jesus heard it, what? Heard that the one whom he loves is ill and gravely ill. He says, this illness does not lead to death. It's for the glory of God so that the Son of God might be glorified through it. And Jesus adjusts course and he goes back toward Bethany. And what is Bethany close to? Jerusalem. The place that was persecuting him. The place where in just over a week he would be crucified. But his friend needs help. And at great risk to himself, he runs back to Bethany. As Kenny Loggins would say, into the danger zone. Did you get that one? Okay, thank you. He goes back. I think that's a great lesson for us, is that first, Jesus hears our cries. You know, sometimes I think we don't cry out to God because we either think we're too far from God, we don't deserve his help, or he's got better things to do. And he hears our cries. He wants to answer us. He wants to hear our prayers. But he doesn't just hear our cries. He knows our need. And he knew the need in Lazarus' life, and he knows your needs as well. And you may be saying, Cody, I have cried out to God, and he hasn't come through. Well, maybe it's not something you needed. Because like a good heavenly father does, he doesn't just give us everything we want. He gives us what's best for us, just like a good parent does, a good father. But he knows our need. He knew what Lazarus needs. He knows what we need. And guess what? The best news of all is that Jesus can redeem our pain. There's been so much pain that people have experienced this past year. And when we think about pain, we try to avoid it and we try to escape it. And we can't. And so therefore, the best that we hope for is that we can heal our pain, numb our pain, or simply just forget about it and ignore it. And Jesus says, I can actually redeem your pain. See, that word redeem adds value to it, meaning he can bring about something good, not just leave a scar, but bring about something for your good and something for his glory. And that's exactly what he does in John chapter 11. In verses 25 and 26, as he's headed back, he heads back in and Lazarus has now died because he was a day's journey from Bethany. And he shows back up and he's, it's funny, in verse 23, he says to Martha, I know your brother's died. Do you think he, I can raise him from the dead? And she goes, oh, I know that's gonna happen in the last day. He says, no, 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 no. I love how he rephrases the question here. He says, Martha, I'm the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? You see, he says, I'm the resurrection. Do you believe that? And she goes, yes. But what she was thinking of was simply this future event, this abstract event of, sure, that will happen in the last day. I believe that, Jesus. And I love how he says, no, 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 no. Let me, let me ask you again. Because there's two categories that he's talking about. Not only the resurrection in the end, but he's talking about the life in the here and now. Look at it. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. That's the future event. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. There is a resurrection life to be experienced here and now. It doesn't have to just wait for the future. 
And he says, do you believe this now? That's the question that he posed to her. You see, what he's asking, do do you think I can save your soul? You see, if you've lost hope, he brings hope because he's the resurrection and the life. And when you find yourself without hope, you send out that SOS and you say, save our souls. My soul needs a place to take refuge and take rest. And if you are the resurrection and the life, then you're the only one that can save my soul, not only from death and eternity, but save it from the effects and tragedy of sin today. Jesus has conquered the world. He's overcome the world. And that same power that raised him from the dead is the same power that lives in us. You see, because if you do not believe in Jesus, I'll colloquialize it for you. The Bible says you're the walking dead. We're dead in our sins and transgressions. We have no life. You're walking, you're living, but you're not really living with life. There's a resurrection life to be experienced, but it only comes through salvation of your soul. Because when you are assured of the future event, you walk way differently in the present with freedom and a fearlessness. I mean, can you imagine later on as he resurrects Lazarus, can you imagine him strutting the streets? I mean, that dude is invincible. He's like, you can do whatever you want to me. In fact, they start trying to kill him. And I'm just imagining, do it. Already been raised from the dead once. I mean, there is a freedom that comes from knowing the resurrection power of Jesus personally. And so the question for you is, will you believe it so you can see the life Jesus has for you? Will you believe that Jesus is the resurrection and the life? Maybe you've never believed and placed your trust in Jesus. You wanna know why Lazarus gets some help here? Because he has a relationship with Jesus. Did you know that you can have a relationship with Jesus today and he's done all the work to make it happen? Everything. You see, we are sinful and separated from God. There's nothing that you could do to make yourself right with the Holy God. That's why Jesus came. Jesus came to die on the cross to pay the penalty for your sin. And he rose from the dead to prove that what he paid was sufficient to pay for your sins, sufficient to a holy God. And now he bridges that gap for you, and all you have to do is accept the free gift of salvation that he makes available to you in his son, Jesus Christ. Just believe, believe it for yourself. Not that it happened, not that it's for somebody else, but it's for you. Will you believe that for the first time? Or will you believe it for the hundredth time? Some of you need to be reminded of that, that Jesus hears your cry, he knows your need, and he can redeem your pain, no matter what has happened this past year. I don't know where you are in your belief, but I want to help you grow. And so what I'd like for you to do is I'd like for you to take out your phone. I'd like for you to take out your phone and just text CCBC Believe to 94090. And let me know where you are in your faith journey. And I wanna help, I wanna help you grow. If you believe for the first time, we have some specific stuff for you. If you're struggling to believe, we have some specific stuff for you. If you believe for a long time, awesome, praise God. We're gonna keep encouraging you in your faith. We wanna help you. 
Because there's life to be experienced if you will believe in him. Not just a future event, but today, something new, something fresh, a new song where he brought life out of a tomb. He can do the same for you. Don't wait. Don't wait. Did you know that when lifeboats in the Carpathia came up to the Titanic, there were people who would not get in because they believed that the Titanic was unsinkable. And they ended up going down with the ship. If you're trusting in anything else in your life to find life, to be reconciled to a holy God, you're standing on a sinking ship. And I say that in love. I've been there. Jesus is the only lifeboat available that's going to get you to a holy God. Would you place your trust in him? And you say, Cody, I want to see it before I believe it. He's shown it to you in Lazarus. He's shown it to you in himself. He said, no, I want to see it here and now. You know, the funny thing about the resurrection is you have to believe it to see it. We live in the culture that wants to see before they believe. And the way that this goes is you have to believe in order to see. In fact, out of the seven miracles in the Gospel of John, the first six, the, the wedding at Cana, the water into wine, the, the, blind, the blind man, uh, the, the lame man at the pool of Bethesda, all of those, Jesus does the miracle and then he explains it. And then he solicits people to believe in him. Do you know what? In the resurrection miracle, it's exactly opposite. The script is flipped totally, 100%. Where Jesus says, I'm the resurrection and life. Do you believe it? Yes, we believe it. Then you'll see it. And he raises Lazarus from the dead. If you want to see your script flipped, you got to believe it to see it. He can take what's broken and make something beautiful. He can take what is dead and make it alive. He can take what was meant to destroy you, to kill you, and make it something that gives you life. He flipped the script for Lazarus. He flipped the script for me. And he can flip the script for you. And I want to show you how. With everything that's happened in our world, I used to think, the world is broken beyond repair. And I reject the idea that for our sake, God showed his love on a cross. There is no truth in those words, and there is no love in him. If God exists, he is cruel and vindictive, and I deny that there is goodness in him. If you look around, you will see the evidence is there, but we shut our eyes and ignore the truth. He does not care about us. We are fools for believing there is a future and a hope. When we are at the mercy of a plague, we can't even see. But the Bible says that the rain falls on the just and the unjust alike. So God's love is the same for all, non-existent. The lengths he will go to save us are but the lengths we will go to save an ant. How small the value of a life. Nothing changes and no one is coming to save us. He is cruel. Don't believe a lie that God loves you. That is what I've been tempted to believe until I encountered Jesus. His grace and his mercy taught me how he flipped the script. 
God loves you. Don't believe a lie that is cruel. He is coming to save us. No one and nothing changes the value of a life. How small the lengths we will go to save an ant, but the lengths he will go to save us are non-existent. God's love is the same for all. So the rain falls on the just and the unjust alike. But the Bible says that when we are at the mercy of a plague that we can't even see, there is a future and a hope. We are fools for believing He does not care about us. We shut our eyes and ignore the truth, but the evidence is there. If you look around, you will see there is goodness in Him. And I deny that if God exists, He is cruel and vindictive and there is no love in Him. There is no truth in those words. God showed His love on a cross for our sake. And I reject the idea that the world is broken beyond repair.